And now we have our Bible reading and we're throwing first to Caleb Smith. Thanks, Caleb. My name is Caleb Smith and I'll be doing the Bible reading today. We'll be reading 1 Samuel chapter 4 verses 1 to 18. I'll give you just a second to get there. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the Cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all that shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled out of his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of the the ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the Ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, What happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man, and it was, he was very heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. Well, uh, thank you, Caleb, and good morning, everyone. Uh, it really is a beautiful morning out there if you haven't uh, got out of your home yet. Uh, it's a beautiful day, a little bit chilly, uh, but it's, God has blessed us with a wonderful day. Uh, it is a grief that uh, we can't be together face to face, and so we continue to entrust uh, ourselves, our church, our families uh, into God's care and protection. 
Now, when I was growing up, my favourite movie was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, some of you kids may not have seen this yet, uh, and your parents will have to decide when is the right time, uh, but I think it's a great movie. It's set in World War II. Adolf Hitler, in his quest for power, has heard the stories of the Old Testament. He's heard the stories of how Joshua and the armies of God entered Israel with the Ark of the Covenant in the centre of the army. And, and, and the Ark was marched around the city of Jericho and then supernaturally, the walls of Jericho came crashing down. And Adolf Hitler, in his quest for power, has decided he is going to go on a search and he sends his archaeologists to locate this missing Ark of the Covenant of God because <clears throat> Hitler wants to tap into the power of the Ark for his own plans for conquering the world. Um, and so uh, it really is a race on. Can Hitler and his archaeologists discover the Ark and use it for their evil purposes? Or can Indiana Jones save the day uh, and rescue the Ark from Hitler's uh, clutches? Now, it's just a movie, and yet that desire to tap into the power of God is basically common to all religions around the world. Uh, so almost everyone on our planet believes that there is something supernatural. Uh, there are supernatural powers beyond what we can see and touch. And basically every religion around the world is an attempt to tap into that power, whether for good or for evil. Uh, and so a lot of people try to tap into supernatural power for healing and blessing. Uh, but some people also try to tap into God's power to afflict their enemies and bring curse uh, on those who they hate. Um, now, what we're going to see this morning is that our God, the true God, the only God, is powerful. Um, he is awesomely powerful. He is actually terrifying in his power. But the good news is that he is a God of love and he wants his power to be directed towards us for our good, to bring us blessing. Uh, but the key thing is he's a holy God and we need to relate to him on his terms. We need to come uh, according to his terms and not according to ours. And what we'll see is the good news of Jesus is that we can come into the presence of this holy God to receive his blessing uh, and his power for our protection and our provision, uh, but only as we come through his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, this morning we're focusing on 1 Samuel chapters four to six. So this happened a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. I really want to encourage you again to open your Bibles up because the key topic this morning is how do you relate to the awesome and powerful God? How do you relate to the awesome and powerful God? And at the heart of how we relate to him is by listening to his word. So as I reminded you last week, even though you're in your lounge rooms or your bedroom or wherever you are, 
put aside distractions and allow yourself to listen attentively to God and his word for the next, for the next half an hour. Give him your time, your attention, your heart for this time. Now, how do we relate to the awesome and powerful God? The first thing to say is God is not a good luck charm. See, in the first verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel goes into battle against the Philistines. You see the map on the screen? The region in brown is what we know today as the Gaza Strip. Uh, and even today, it is, it is a, a, a contested land, a, a place of lots of uh, battles uh, between Israel and Palestine. Back in 1 Samuel, the brown strip had become the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines were one of the, the neighbours of Israel and they were encroaching in on Israelite territory. Um, they were a big regional threat. So Israel decided enough is enough. We're going to go into battle against the Philistines. And so they go and battle the Philistines at Ebenezer and they are terribly defeated. 4,000 Israelites were killed in battle. So verse 3. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. See, the elders of Israel knew the stories about Joshua from 500 years earlier. So this is 1500 BC. Remember Joshua? Um, when Joshua led the people into the promised land, the Ark of the Covenant was right there with them. And as they went down into the waters of the Jordan River, the Ark led the way and the waters of the Jordan stopped and the people passed through safely. Uh, and notice whenever the ark is carried outside, it's always covered by blue cloths. Uh, we'll hear more about that later. But uh, the people of Israel, the elders, they knew about the battle of Jericho, where Joshua and his armies carried the ark of the covenant and seven times they lapped uh, around the city of Jericho and then miraculously, supernaturally, the walls came crashing down. And there was a mighty victory that followed. And so here in 1, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 4, the elders of Israel thought, let's bring the power of the ark into play against the Philistines. And so once again, they went into battle against the Philistines, this time with the ark of the covenant in the, in the midst of the battle. But the outcome was even more devastating. 30,000 were killed in battle that day. And you ask, why such a resounding defeat? What went wrong? Well, I want you to listen to verse 4 and what happens as they're heading to battle. So 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And you go, Hophni and Phinehas, they are the ones carrying the Ark. Remember from last week, Hophni and Phinehas were the two abusive sons of Eli. They were bullies. They had no regard for God. They, they had contempt for God. And God had declared his judgment to come on these two men, these two priests, Hophni and Phinehas. And yet here they are leading the armies of Israel into battle against the Philistines carrying the ark. Have a look at verse 11. The ark was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And when their father Eli hears about it, he falls over in shock and breaks his neck and he dies that same day. And when Phineas's wife hears about it, uh, she was pregnant and she goes into early labor. Uh, and in her dying words, she, uh, in her dying moments, she gives birth to a son and she names her son Ichabod, which means literally the glory has departed. Verse 22, her dying words, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now I want to show you a picture. Uh, it's just a drawing, but this is, uh, try, tries to be a picture of the ark of the covenant of God. Now compared to the gods and idols of the other religions, in the ancient world, it really is very unusual. Most idols look like a person or some sort of combination between a person or an animal. Some of them were quite grotesque, but the ark essentially was just a box. You know, it did have these angel wings above it, but the ark was a box made of wood, covered in gold, and inside the ark were two stone tablets. And these two stone tablets were the, were, had the Ten Commandments written on them, the commandments that Moses had received uh, from God and delivered to the people of Israel. Now, you see, the ark was not God. The people of Israel were not supposed to worship the ark Sometimes the ark is referred to as God's footstool because the idea is God is enthroned in heaven uh, and so he can't be contained in a box. Uh, but the ark was a visual reminder of God and his relationship with his people Israel. Uh, that's why it's called the ark of the covenant. It's the ark that symbolized the covenant relationship between God and and his people, God had spoken and Israel were meant to respond by listening to God's word, believing his promises and obeying his commandments. And at the, at the heart of this covenant God had made with Israel were blessings and curses. And so if Israel trusted and obeyed God, it would lead to a life of blessing. If Israel stopped trusting God, turned away from him and disobeyed him, it would lead to curse. Um, and so what the ark should have done is be a constant reminder of the covenant relationship between God and his people. 
And so when Israel lost that first battle, the question on their lips should have been, have we broken the covenant with God? Uh, Is there sin amongst us that we need to address? Uh, Do we need to seek God's forgiveness? And the answer to that question was, yes. Yes, they needed to deal with stuff because they had corrupt, godless, abusive leaders in Hophni and Phinehas. And the whole nation had really lost touch with God and were chasing after other gods. So the true God is not a good luck charm. He's not some impersonal force that we somehow tap into. He is a relational God. And for Israel, they had the covenant commandments given by God at Mount Sinai. Um, if, if, If Israel wanted God's power for blessing, then they should listen, believe, and obey the covenant relationship with God. Uh, the, the words contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it's the same for us. For us, God has spoken through Jesus. God has spoken in the good news of Jesus. And the way we relate to God is by hearing the good news of Jesus by believing in Jesus as our saviour and obeying Jesus as our king. That is the heart of right relationship with God. Hearing, believing, obeying the good news of Jesus. Don't ever think of God as a good luck charm or some impersonal force where if you just get the right technique, we can somehow tap into his power Uh, Or God is not like a get-out-of-hell-free card that you keep in the back of your pocket and you pull out when you need it. God has spoken and drawn us into relationship with himself. He wants us to hear him, believe him, and obey him in the promises he's given through the Lord Jesus. So what happens with the ark now that it has been captured by the Philistines. We're going to pick up the story in our second Bible reading. Uh, so I'll cut to our Bible reader now. Hi everyone, I'm Talia and I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 to chapter 6 verse 2. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumours. 
When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumours. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumours, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines <coughs> called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. Okay. What we see here is that God is not like the gods of the nations. See, all, all the other religions of the ancient world had statues and idols that the people bowed down to and worshipped. For the Philistines, their god was Dagon. And they had a temple where Dagon lived and they would come and offer him food uh, and uh, they would come there and worship him and bow down before him. Now, now that they have captured the ark of the God of Israel, they put the ark alongside Dagon in Dagon's temple. And so now they thought they had two gods in their temple, Dagon, their main god, uh, who was kind of ruling over the God of Israel. Um, but the very next morning, Dagon had, topple over, had toppled over. Uh, his statue was there lying on the ground. And so they kind of pick him up and put him back in his place. Uh, but then the very next morning, he's toppled over again. And this time, horror, um, his head has come off and his hands have come off. And so there is kind of Dagon kind of lying down as if he's worshipping the God of Israel, but he's got no hands or head. Um, and I want you to notice verse 6. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumours. You see, the true God, the true God who we worship is not confined to a box in the temple of Dagon. He cannot be contained. He cannot be domesticated. Uh, and the Philistines realise we have a problem. We're dealing with something bigger than we thought. And so they ask in verse 8, what are we going to do with the ark of the God of Israel? 
And it becomes like a, a game of hot potatoes. None of the Philistines want the ark in their towns. So the ark is shifted from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron. And the Philistines endure a seven-month pandemic, right? Seven-month lockdown. Uh, tumors, cancerous tumors that bring death and a rat plague. Now, it sounds a lot like New South Wales right at the moment, doesn't it? A rat plague and a pandemic. So after seven months of sickness and plagues, have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They realize somehow they need to turn aside God's anger. Uh, somehow they need to give a guilt offering to God. So chapter 6, verse 4. The Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? And they replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats. Now, I looked, in my, I looked as far as I could for a children's Bible with this story. And I couldn't find any picture of five gold rats, let alone five gold tumors. Uh, which just sounds gross and it's really funny. And, uh, but for the Philistines, it wasn't a laughing matter. It was deadly serious. They had the heavy hand of God in judgment on them and they wanted, they wanted to work out what are we meant to do about it? How can we be right with God? Uh, and so their, kind of, their method might have been a bit skewed. But their motive is, how do we rightly relate to God? And I, I wish the people of our world were asking this same question right at the moment. You know, when we, when we are afflicted with a global pandemic, what better question to ask then, how do we get right with the God who made this world and who rules this world and controls this world? Now, what the Philistines do is they've made these five gold tumors, five gold rats. They make a new cart with two cows pulling the cart and they put the Ark of the Covenant and the gold rats and the gold tumors on the cart and they decide if the cows take the cart back to Israel, have a look at chapter 6, verse 9. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. And sure enough, the cows pull the cart and the ark and the gold tumors and the gold rats all the way back to Israel to the town of Beth Shemesh. See, what we see is that God is not like the gods of the nations. Other gods are domesticated. They are statues and they are kind of confined to a temple. They have no hands, no feet, no head. They are powerless 
like Dagon, locked away in his temple. But the true God cannot be locked up. His power cannot be contained or tamed. I love the way C.S. Lewis captures this truth in the Narnia books. Uh, He has God or Jesus represented by Aslan the lion. And one of the things about Aslan that you keep hearing is that Aslan is not a tame lion. He's not a pussycat. You know, some of you might have a cat at home, you know, and you love your cat, you know, and and you pat your cat and you feed it and you might even teach it to do tricks uh, and, and, and it will come up and rub against you and, um, and, and you have that kind of pet relationship with your cat. Well, that's good, but Aslan is not like that. He's a lion and he's not a tame lion. Powerful, even dangerous. I love the scene at the beaver's house where... You know, this is in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And the kids go to the beaver's house. They've heard about Aslan. And Susan finds out that Aslan is a lion. And she says, oh, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. And there is a great description of the God we worship, the God we meet in the pages of the Bible. He isn't safe, but he's good. Now, as I say that, I I feel like that could be easily misrepresented, right? He isn't safe, but he's good. Let me unpack what I mean by that or or what C.S. Lewis meant by that. Um, As we come to the final point, and the final point is you cannot approach God casually. So back in 1 Samuel, the people of Beth Shemesh, remember they're Israelites, they rejoice. It's sort of like the Ark of the Covenant is coming home. The glory of God is returning to Israel. They see the cows pulling the the Ark, and it is a miracle. But the story ends with a tragedy and we hear our final Bible reading. Uh, so pick it up in chapter hey, 6. Church, it's Jeremy Crooks here. I'd like to read for us from 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 19 through 20. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Okay, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Now, I've got a picture uh, there. Does anyone recognise this? Now, I know some of us, some of our members will. Um, It's an electrical reactor. And it's, it's a crucial part of supplying us with electricity. Now, we all love electricity, yeah? Power to run our TVs, right? Electricity is what brings me to you and your lounge room today. Uh, 
run our lights, our heaters. Uh, it is great, right? Electricity is really good, but electricity is dangerous. That's why we need trained electricians. Uh, and we're blessed to have a, you know, about a dozen trained electricians here at the Lakes Church. Uh, and they are, they are trained to be careful, to rightly handle such a powerful but good thing. Uh, and these reactors uh, that generate the electricity, they are super dangerous because you're talking about super high voltage and lots of current. And they have a saying when you're around a reactor, and that is one flash, your ash. Right? One flash, your ash. Um, it, it is deadly if you don't know what you're doing or if you are complacent and not careful. So they put big security fences around these electrical reactors. Notice there was already a fence around it, but now there's a bigger fence with barbed wire and all that sort of stuff. And the idea is they want to keep us safe. Right? They want us to enjoy the good things about electricity, but they want to keep us safe from that, that heart, that source of the electricity. So they put a fence up, keep us out. The only people are allowed in are people who are specially trained. They know all the safety precautions. They know the rules and all that sort of thing because they know one flash, your ash. Now, it seems to me that the Ark of the Covenant was a bit like that. It symbolized God's presence amongst his people. And what a privilege. What a privilege that the God of the universe, the all-powerful God, should come and be amongst his people for blessing, for relationship with God. Uh, it is a great blessing, but with that blessing came danger because this is the holy, powerful God. That is why the ark was normally kept inside a series of barriers. You had the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place, and only the, ark, only the priests could come anywhere near the ark. And even the priests, they had a whole lot of commands about this. But look at Numbers chapter 4, verse 20. They must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will die. Right, that's why whenever the ark was on the move, it was covered uh, with that blue cloth. The people of Beth Shemesh were somehow complacent. They were too casual in dealing with the ark and so 70 of them were struck dead. And you realise, wow, you cannot be complacent in the presence of this holy God. And so the question asked by the people of Beth Shemesh is this. Have a look at verse 20, chapter 6, verse 20. Who can stand in the presence of this holy God? To, to whom will the ark go up from here? Who can stand in the presence of this holy God? Now, I just want to point out, this is the same God that we worship today. He hasn't changed. He hasn't stopped being the awesome, powerful, holy God. 
I want you to come over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. So turn in your Bible to um, Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to pick it up from verse 29. Sorry, verse, verse, um, yeah, verse, verse 29. Let me flick through there. So verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is still a consuming fire. Well, back down to chapter 10, verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, just keep your Bible open at that verse there, at that page. The question asked by the people of Beth Shemesh should be the same question we are asking today. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And I want to unpack it because remember I said earlier, God is not an impersonal force. He is a relational God and his holiness is about what what is there at the core of his character. And at the core of God's character is moral goodness, moral perfection, uh, a complete commitment to justice. That is God's holiness. Uh, And it is such a stark contrast to us who are unholy. Uh, We can be so sinful and so corrupt in our thoughts and our attitudes. Um, But at the core of God's character is not only his holiness but his love, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness. And because of that, God, even though he is holy, he is committed to making a way for us to come into a relationship with him. He doesn't want to destroy us. He doesn't want to terrify us. He wants to come to us to enjoy blessing from him. And this is why God sent Jesus into our world to die in our place. Jesus is the perfect guilt offering. You know, the Philistines realized we need to offer God something. And so they offered him five gold rats, five gold tumors. You know, they were kind of stabbing in the dark. The people of Israel knew that they had to offer a bull or a goat uh, to cleanse their sin. But now God has offered once for all time the one true perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, lays down his life as a guilt offering to turn aside God's wrath from us, to make us clean, forgiven, holy in his sight. So who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? The answer is anyone who comes to Jesus. Anyone who believes in Jesus as Saviour, who obeys Jesus as Lord. Have a look at Hebrews 10 verse 19. This really is an awesome little section. 
Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It is so good what Jesus brings us. You know, he's not a corrupt priest like Hophni and Phinehas. He offers the perfect sacrifice so that we can, the holy God, we now have confidence to approach him safely. So let me just summarize. God is not a lucky charm. He can't be manipulated. We don't kind of just tap into some impersonal force. He wants to relate to us as we hear his word, the good news of Jesus and believe and obey. That's the sort of relationship he wants from us. God is not like the other gods. He cannot be domesticated. He cannot be tamed. He is not to be approached casually. He is a holy God and we come on his terms, not ours, but through Jesus. Wow. We come into his presence safely with confidence. Uh, We come as children approaching our heavenly father and God loves to give good things to his children. The all-powerful God of the universe wants to use his power to bless us and to bring good to us all the days of our lives. So come to Jesus. And if you want to find out more, please get in touch with us because we would love to introduce you to Jesus so that you might know Jesus and relationship with the awesome, powerful God through him. Let me lead us in prayer. Oh God, our Father, you are the powerful, almighty, perfect, holy God. You are loving, merciful, compassionate. Thank you that you want relationship with us that you make the way. Please forgive us our sins through the death of your son in our place. Please make us holy in your sight. And please soften our hearts so that we will day by day hear, believe and obey this good news of Jesus so that we embrace Jesus as our high priest, our saviour and our King. Thank you that through Jesus we come into your presence with confidence. Thank you that your power is now directed for our good, for our blessing. And by your great power, Father, please protect us, please bless us, care for us, provide for us in your loving fatherly care. And we pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.